This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. Friends, as we all know, life in the modern world can be pretty tough sometimes. Whether it's that overwhelmed feeling caused by the 24-hour news cycle or that exhausted keeping up with the Joneses marathon that many people feel like they're running on a daily basis, or simply trying to get by day in and day out. The good news is that there are now platforms designed to provide us with the support we need. Our sponsor, BetterHelp, is a wonderful resource that's purposely designed to be accessible and personalized to your exact specifications. With the click of a button, you can sign up and be matched with a professional of the highest standards, a specialist that can be an unbiased support system throughout your week and beyond. And BetterHelp goes out of its way to ensure that your needs are met. If the professional you're matched up with isn't working out, BetterHelp will work tirelessly to match you up with someone who will. Here at 20-Sided Gamified, we fully and readily support our listeners' goals of living healthy, fulfilling lives filled with laughter, fun, gaming, and stories to pass on from generation to generation. We are proud to have a partnership with BetterHelp, and we hope you'll look into this wonderful opportunity and resource at a time where we all may need a little boost. Signing up for BetterHelp has never been easier. Go to betterhelp.com slash 20sidedgamified to learn more and sign up at a 10% discount for your first month. You can also gain access to BetterHelp through the link provided in our show notes. Thank you so much. Hey there, friends. Jared here from the 20 Sided Gamified podcast. So uh, with all sincerity, I love the dudes from Firelock Games. Um, the episode that you're about to listen to is with those dudes. Had so much fun talking to them. We decided to do something nice for the gaming community out there. So here's the deal. For seven days, starting right now, so for the next seven days, if you order some figures, whether it's stuff from Blood and Plunder or Oak and Iron, Blood and Valor, Blood and Steel, I mean, I could go on and on and on regarding their games. If you use the coupon code NEXTGEN10, you will get a discount on the figures that you purchase. It's just our way of saying thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for taking an interest in Firelock Games. And by the way, if you're curious about where to find their minis, the, the, the place where you're going to be able to use this coupon code is at www.firelockgames.com. So one more time, www.firelockgames.com. Use the coupon code NEXTGEN10. And if you're wondering where that name comes from, it's HMGS Next Gen Inc., the uh, group that I'm one of the directors and founders of. So again, everybody, for this holiday season, whatever you may believe, just a huge thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the sale that you're going to basically get through Firelock Games just simply by listening to this podcast. Have an absolutely wonderful day and enjoy the episode. All right, everybody. Good afternoon. 
This is Jared here from the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. A little bit of a different vibe today in the sense that normally I do these on Sunday mornings, but the folks that I'm interviewing, it just made way more sense to do this interview during the week. Not that it matters to any of you because you're just listening whenever you decide to listen. But in my case, um, not going to lie, recovering from a pretty vicious cold that more than likely my students gave me. It's kind of been a wild day. But again, I know I'm building this up. I'm very excited right now. Reason I'm very excited is because of the following. When I think about Firelock games, and when I think about games like Blood and Plunder and Blood and Valor, the first thing that comes to my mind is the word modern. And this podcast is about where gaming is right now. And don't get me wrong, we've done plenty of podcasts with authors from the past. The past matters a lot. But in terms of this podcast, what we really are striving for is thinking a little bit about the companies, the writers, the people, the professors, who, who are the people that are really pushing games forward? And Firelock Games, you have to have heard of them. If you've ever been to an HMGS convention, if you've ever been to a gaming convention, they are at most of them. And that's where I ran into the game Blood and Plunder for the first time. So without further ado, um, and you know me, I'm not going to butcher uh, the intro per se. Um, so they'll do really the introducing of themselves, but... We've got Mike and we've got Rufus from Firelock Games. An interesting dynamic between the two of them. Mike is apparently the co-owner of the company. And I guess, you know, before we started, uh, before we actually kind of got in here, Rufus, I guess, is a contractor. We'll, we'll let him kind of explain his role a little bit, a little bit more clearly, I guess. Um, but yeah, without further ado, we got Mike and we got Rufus from Firelock Games here. What's up, guys? How's it going? Hey, Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank oh, you. Rufus, is a, yeah. Rufus is an unpaid intern, is I believe what I described <laughs> I can't tell if that's complimentary or not. I think it is, no, right? No, no, he's trying, <laughs> to, he's trying to give me a hard time. I see, watch, I see. Watch out, Mike. I know where you live. Well, the other mm-hmm. thing is I believe Rufus writes a lot of the rules, so I guess, Mike, you can't be too vicious towards Rufus. Right? <laughs> No, but all, I know, right? <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, I mean, I should be thanking you guys. I really appreciate, you know, you guys coming on, and I'm sure our audience is gonna love to hear about you guys. So, so look, you know, this is a we've got three folks in this room, so we'll have to take our time here. Um, maybe we'll start with you, Mike, because I know that you are, I guess, part owner of of Firelock Games. Can you give mm-hmm. us a little bit of a, I don't know, if you're a Marvel guy or a Star Wars guy, your origin story? So. How do you get into gaming? Where does Firelock Games come from? Gotcha. Uh, so in that regard, I'm more of a Battletech guy, I guess. Oh, my God. Um, Don't say that because I love Battletech. That's where that's been the one constant in all my gaming for sure for a long time. And that's what got me into it initially. So uh, played the Mech Warrior games on my first computer ever. There you go. But, I'm uh, sitting here playing with BattleTech stuff. So. <laughs> and uh, I loved I loved the computer game Back Warrior Two. And uh, when I I was in a hobby shop one day and I saw a box for uh, City Tech and I recognized the the mechs on the cover and I realized it's the same universe kind of thing and then I uh, kind of jumped into it from there and that's you know rest is history on that front. That's awesome. So how so when did you start playing BattleTech? Mm-hmm. I think that was 1997. I want to okay, say. Gotcha. Yeah. So not not uh, not like the guys playing in the 80s, like Rufus. I'm not quite that old. 83 <laughs> box set. That's yeah. when I started. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So Rufus, you said you've been playing since 83. 
Yeah, well, I actually got into wargaming with, uh, believe it or not, Napoleonics. That's how okay. I got into it. My dad took me to uh, the uh, Battle of um, New Orleans from the eight, you know the War of eighteen twelve. Yeah, yeah. And I I saw the uniforms, and I'm like a big uniform. I just like uniforms a lot. And then I discovered the Napoleonic Wars. You know, the rest of the wars, and I was just like, oh my god, this is amazing. And then, uh, unfortunately, when I was like, you know, a little kid, I got a bunch of 15 millimeter figures and painted them up and tried to play with them. And all those old grognarks wouldn't, they just told me to go away, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's like the old school, you know, giant 5,000 man army recreating battles and stuff. They wanted nothing to do with the kid. But the first game I really played, like with my buddies, was Battletech because it came in a box set. You could use standees, you could actually play the game right out of the box, which was pretty cool. Yeah. You know what's funny about Battletech? Not to because again, I don't want this to be the focus of, of our of our episode today, but but Battletech is one of those games that like it just doesn't ever seem to go out of style. Like it is so crunchy and usually yeah. the opposite of anything that I would like to play, but there is something about getting your mech just blown to crap and marking all of those boxes off. There's just yeah. something so satisfying about it in a really weird way, you know? I don't know yeah. what you how you guys feel about it, but yeah, it's it's um like I said, it's been a constant. It's one it's one of those games that just won't go away from my life. Oh, plus, it, plus always the go lore, back to it. yeah, <laughs> the yeah. lore of it, the lore of it is really good too. So you know, it's yeah. you know all mm-hmm. the all the novels and everything. It's yeah, know. there's a ton of content out there for it, and it's also mm-hmm. really weird too. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I kind of hope that at some point or another, you can go into Barnes and Nobles and find your games, right? Because we are kind of mm-hmm. pushing towards that. But it is wild right. to me. Like, you know, I've said this so many times on this podcast. It's like back in the day. So I was born in 81. So it's like, you know, back in the day, you didn't tell people you did this stuff. And now it's like you go into Barnes and Noble and you could buy like all the battle tech miniatures you want, which still, I think I will be 80 years old and still be completely in awe of that fact you know what i mean so oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah so yeah so, a, yeah go ahead mike sorry i was gonna say even target now which is crazy yeah. there's a, a local guy here we game with just kind of rolled in with a target box that he bought and wanted to found it found us because he bought that game at target so it's yeah, actually it's wild pretty cool that that's going to open the door to gaming to so many people yeah too, so. absolutely absolutely and <laughs> well so so now that I, I mean so i have a sense so it sounds like rufus you were you know you, you're you're painting you know you know 15 mil figures early on you guys are playing BattleTech. so mike where does firelock games come from then how do you kind of go from being a BattleTech gamer to putting out like really serious like historical games well um I have always had a, a big interest in history um, and a big, and I've always been kind of a, since a little kid, I love pirates and, and that led to kind of a, an interest in colonial things in general. Um, not, and plus I'm, um, <clears throat> I'm Cuban American. So uh, that whole Caribbean history and stuff is always kind of close to home. Right. Um, the, uh, so it's, for me, it started with, well, after I got married, I kind of started exploring other games as an adult uh and so i started picking up a bunch of different types of games i kind of discovered historical war games i didn't realize that there were historical games and that that was interesting to me so i got into um started looking at world war ii games and different things like that that were out of the time got into flames of war and stuff and um and uh from there i discovered a game called uh i actually had looked i looked for or rather i considered that it would be really cool if somebody did like a pirate war game 
Yeah. And, uh, but then I was thinking, you know, that's probably, you can't play with big, you know, cause I was playing all 20 mil times I've played to war. And, uh, as I get, I'm playing big ships and stuff would be kind of crazy, but there's a game called legends of the high seas that was out put out by Warhammer historical yeah. at the time. And they kind of did that. And I saw, I found that game and I started, and I was familiar. I had played the, uh, Lord of the Rings game, which the mechanics are all based on. So I knew the mechanics and I was like, wow, that sounds really cool. So I picked that up and played that for a bit. When that went under, I kind of, um, just decided to take a crack at it and started working on a, a war game for it. So, uh, and then as I researched that, I started learning more and more because I wanted to, I'm always, uh, you know, very detail oriented in that way. I want to get everything right and get all the pieces together. So I started researching and researching and just one thing led to another. And I ended up with a totally different game than what I started with. Right. Uh, but it's, uh, it was really a trip too. I, I forgot. I left out an important bit. Uh, what, what sparked my desire to, to, to do the game was a, a trip to San Augustine here uh, in Florida and, and just being kind of immersed in that history, which I found so interesting, uh, just kind of gave me the, that was like the catalyst that got it going and said, I could take a crack at this. Like, it would be cool to make a really historical pirate game. And when and was this? What year more. was this? <laughs> uh, so that happened in, when was that? Uh, that must have been... I think that was about 2010, I want to say, about 2010. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, from there, I kind of worked on it sporadically. It wasn't like a real serious project for me or anything. And then um, over the years, I had kind of, uh, as, as it started to, the ideas started to come together and I was researching and doing more things around 2014, around 2015, I think it was, I kind of got a little more serious about trying to finish it up and, as I did finish it, um, or I was, wasn't really finished then, but when it was very close to what it is now, um, I had I met my partner, my business partner Alex Aguila, and we. This was when Black Sales came out, right? So yeah, Black Sales. The uh, Black Sales came out, and we were actually playing Alpha Strike BattleTech at the time because I had just come like that had just come out, and he got back into. He was leaving 40k and looking for a different game, and I met him through that. Mm -hmm. And we were just playing and discussing the show. And um, and he mentioned, man, it'd be really cool if somebody made a game like that, a game that covers piracy and stuff like that. Uh, and he actually mentioned historically specifically too. Right. Um, and, and, I, and I told him that. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I've actually been working on one for a while and it's pretty close to being done. And if you want to play, I'd love to get your feedback on it. And, you know, basically he played it, he loved it. And uh, he then he basically we just talked about starting a business to put the game out. Before yeah, that, the plan sick. was just to like throw a PDF online somewhere and then just call it a day. I didn't have any aspirations to start a yeah. working company at the time. But he was, you know, he was a guy who did a, who was successful in business in the past. He was the co-founder of Alienware, and uh, so gave me a lot of confidence to go forward and do it. And and uh, we're still doing it to this day. <laughs> yeah, and that's Alienware. That's no, I didn't know that. That's no joke. I mean, yeah, <laughs> very cool. So now, all right. So again, I'm I'm getting a picture here. Um, Rufus, where do you come into all of this? So again, as this sort of, I guess, this Tom Hagen esque Godfather mm -hmm. figure, I guess, <laughs> unpaid yeah. contractor, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, I was, you know, I was a a policeman in Miami for you know a long time, and I had just retired. 
and I had bought some of the original Blood and Plunder stuff from Mike, and I basically, um, I actually put a Facebook post, hey, I finally got around to painting this crap. (laughs) (laughs) And then Alex called me right away, because I know Mike and Alex from gaming, you know, Mm because Dade County only has, for years, they only have one game store in all of Dade County. That was it. Right. So if you're into games, you were going to go there, you know, and it, it yeah. had an interesting collection of coconuts. You had some super weirdos. You had some, yeah. you know, good guys. It was <laughs> an interesting group. And um, they asked me, hey, could you help? Um, can you help uh, paint miniatures? Because they know I'm a I'm, I'm pretty good painter. So I'm like, yeah. So well, it turns, you know, I cranked out a bunch of miniatures and they said they'd be in the books, which I like, because then I can rag on my friends and say, hey, you want to know what color that is and that kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> and um and then, you know, I basically said, hey, I, I want to be more involved. Um, you know, take me to the cons. You know, I'll help you with the cons. I, I like to run games. I run tournaments. I run for participation games. And I was like, you know, you know, I'll pay me anything. Just take me, you know, take me, mm-hmm. give me a place to sleep and all that kind of stuff, which is my life. I was going to do that anyways. I just might as well do it with people I like to do it with. Sure, yeah. And then, um, but I always have had a desire to write, write rules myself. So I was actually bubbling around in my pool, and my son, who wrote the book with me, basically came up with a concept of doing a World War One small, accessible, which is a big part of our thought process, accessible. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a great idea. Like, w- let's run with that. And we ran with it. You know, obviously, Mike supported us, you know, with the idea, and we, mm-hmm. we uh, cranked it out. And, you know, now we were able to basically cover the whole world and the Russian Civil War, and there's just yep. a you know, just went for it. And the materials are so sleek. I mean, that's, remember, I started this off by using the word modern. I mean, just everything you guys do. And again, I don't mean, I always say this on this podcast, I don't mean to swell your egos or anything, but everything is just so streamlined. It's aesthetically pleasing, meaning all of your books, all of your miniatures, the way the minis are painted in the books, the way that the rules are laid out, it is just as accessible as I feel like can be in this hobby. And that's a huge Thank compliment, you, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right. So we've got Blood and Plunder and we've got Blood and Valor. And then I know we'll talk about this later, but you have a third game as well, right? That just got kickstarted. Correct me if I'm wrong. We've, well, we've got, we've got more than that, but yeah. Yeah. Go, go, <laughs> no, go into it. Because so, again, like I'm not an expert on your company, right. nor is the audience. So you tell me. Yeah, so we've got so right after right. So right after Blood and Plunder, uh, so Blood and Plunder, we did Blood and Plunder. We had a we did a big expansion Kickstarter called No Peace Beyond the Line, which really blew the game up to having like uh, what was something like uh, at the time I think it was like sixty eight different factions, whatever. Right, Mm -hmm. and this is around the time around the tail end of that process getting done is when we brought Rufus on board because he uh, basically we had a painter that didn't really work out and Mm -hmm. we were on a time crunch. And we know Rufus paints fast. So from there, we went wait, and... Wait, uh, right hey, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You told me at the start of the month, it was like, hey, can you paint 20 miniatures? By the end of the month, it was like 60 miniatures. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's correct. I was like, oh my God. I basically sat my painting solid for a month. It was really great. Really you to work. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we chained them to this table. But um, the uh, so from there, I started working on another game called Oak and Iron, which is a 1-600 game. Uh, are fl- focused on fleet combats, right? So small-scale fleet combats and squadron engagements and things like that. Uh, but uh, unlike the typical, it seems like every time somebody does a game like that, it's typically Napoleonics. Yep. So we did an earlier period, we did 1650 to 1750. And the whole 
point of that game was to make a very easily accessible and approachable and affordable war game. So you could, uh, the, a course set is $69 and you get six ships, you get a paper mat to play on, all the rule books, the dice, the yeah, components, you literally everything. You play it you right out of the box. Yeah. Yeah. Just play it right no, out of the box. You no know, glue, you pop the mask in and out, very simple models that are very easy to paint if you want to paint. But if you don't want to paint, they're brown holes and white sails. So it gives you at least a semblance of color. Right. Um, you know, we're not, we don't have the budget to do pre-painted stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, that was the closest we could get. Okay, but, gotcha. Um, so that was a, we launched that game in 2019 or rather we launched that Kickstarter in 2019 and right around that same time, Rufus worked on Blood of Valor and they both sort of came out at the same time, which is just in time for 2020. Yeah, uh, well, right. Blood of Valor <laughs> that, came out in February 2020. Year. Yeah, yeah. And Oak and Iron came out in April, 2020. So both games came out at the worst time possible. Right. Um, and Rufus is good enough to have been our guinea pig for lots of stuff because we were at the time we, we had, be I, we we looked at basically doing kind of a publishing sort of arm because a lot of people had ideas for things they could do with our rules, the core rules, because they work really well for a lot of things. Right. So um, we had Rufus doing that. We had people approach us about uh, doing all kinds of different things. Uh, one of the more recent ones that came out, <clears throat> aside from the one we just kickstarted, was Blood and Steel, which is kind of a uh, a Victorian era game. So it covers a big chunk of time and it just kind of touches on a few different uh wars and stuff so it's cool because it, it, it runs the gamut of a lot of stuff and it's a great game for um that type of uh, of setting with things like civil war mm-hmm. uh seminal wars uh, even all the way up to the spanish-american war and things like that oh he also has the zulus in there don't the british and the oh, yeah, zulus. right yeah, and don't forget yeah, that you gotta mention the zulus everybody loves zulus. <laughs> so, the uh and then uh, more recently our most our most recent project we just finished the kickstarter about two weeks ago now was uh blood and crowns which is a hundred years war game yeah i saw some stuff about that yeah and then in between all that we actually launched a role-playing game our first role-playing game and uh as far as we know the only dedicated uh world war ii historical war uh role-playing game called war stories gotcha um we also have a dice game which we have called scurvy dice which is not historical whatsoever but it's fun um And so far, that runs the gamuts, the gamut of our games. Uh, we've got some new ones coming out, of course, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. How big is your staff? There's two uh, of us. Of, <laughs> that's it? <laughs> it's just you two? Yeah, so, <laughs> in uh, our day-to-day operation, we have five people. Gotcha. So, and you yeah. make everything in-house? Like, you guys are sculpting the no. figures? Well, the yeah, we design. Yeah, we do all the design work in-house. Yep. Um, we do have... We do do some manufacturing in-house. Uh, right now, we're currently making resin casts for our ships. We do uh, we spin cast metal miniatures. We do um, we do plastic uh, plastic resin miniatures, uh, thermal cast plastic. And now we're starting to do a lot more three um, D print manufacturing, uh, which has really just been going surprisingly well. Yeah. Uh, so we do a lot of stuff in-house. Uh, all the graphic design. Uh, everything pretty much except printing and anything made in, in hard plastic or, you know, in steel molds essentially is done outside. Yeah. So we do do a lot of in-house work. And in terms of, <clears throat> in terms of selling your products. So again, correct me if I'm wrong. You're doing a lot of sales online. You're, you also are doing sales at cons and you also have products at stores as well, right? Yes. And as of right now, uh, stores, 
distribution and stores, those are the two, those are our two main avenues we sell out of. Our direct sales have, have gone down a lot, but our uh, say our sales to, to stores and to distributors who sell to stores has increased exponentially. So oh, that's to great. A place where, yeah, which is, is that great. Something you're, is that something you want? Like that's, you're happy about that or? Yes. I, I obviously don't, our margins aren't as good in those directions, but it's great because it really gets our stuff out there and it, yeah, it gives us sure. a lot of exposure and penetration into the market so that um, a lot more people are able to get our stuff, which we yeah, have well, a lot more presence in Europe now, thanks yeah. to distribution over there and stuff like that, which is great. Everybody <laughs> knows who you guys are, which is not always easy in this line of work, I guess you could say, you know, in, in wargaming in particular. Mm-hmm. Everybody yeah, knows some, who you guys are. There's tons of so. games <laughs> and tons of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hard to separate. Yeah, yeah well, for sure. One, that was one interesting thing. When we were at Gen Con... Which is Gen Con's enormous, you know. It's eighty-five thousand people, I think, were there this year. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about it. You know, they have you know literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of vendors, and you know, and they're big, you know, big companies, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But we were probably the only historical vendor there, like the and, you know, yeah. and it's it's like how well will you do at Gen Con? Who you know? It's but a lot of people were kind of like, whoa, this is different. And it, yeah. it kind of helped us separate from the mm-hmm. pack because, yeah. you know, and I don't have anything against fantasy or sci-fi, but we weren't another fantasy company or another sci-fi company. We were unique. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were just like, wow, I didn't know this was here. And it it drew a lot of attention from people, which is, and we did, you know, better than we sold stuff yeah. that we weren't expecting to sell at all. <laughs> was well, like, well, who's going to buy okay. this? <laughs> so. Yeah. But look, I mean, the way I see it, and you guys can chime in here if you see it differently. I mean, look, I, I've been saying this. You know, as long as I've been a teacher in particular, you're talking 20 years, I've been saying this, you know, gaming has increased so much in, in, in the last 20 years, 10 years, five years, you know, um, but it, but so fascinating that don't get me wrong. I'm sure Warlord games and, and Battlefront, like I'm sure that their sales have gone up as well, but ultimately it's like everybody else in the gaming industry steams have an easier route in, you know, because if you're a sci-fi game or a fantasy game, you've got all the comic book stores that are selling your stuff. Um, role-playing games are just taking off like crazy and you can buy them anywhere, but it's always like historical miniatures. It's, it's, it's one of those genres that, it seems like now it's starting to penetrate, meaning like you guys going to Gen Con and be like, oh, wow, this is this is amazing. Like there's more mm-hmm. exposure, it seems like. I don't know what your guys experience has been, but to me, like I've, I've, I feel like I've seen that over the last few years. Yeah, I'll say that our our primary market um, and this isn't really on purpose, but it's just how it turns out. Our primary market is not the typical historical war game. Um, the va- the vast majority of people we sell to are people who just kind of do more uh, just into gaming in general, the kind of person who yeah. will play different games. Because it's kind of like miniature games is broken down into like three main categories, I'd say, right? Mm-hmm. One is one is Games Workshop. They have their own category and their own universe that they exist in, right? Right. And there's people who are going to play there who are never going to play anything else. Right. And then there's kind of the... On the opposite end of that, you've got the historical war gamers, which kind of exist in that same. They play all kinds of different games, but they play historicals mostly exclusively, right? They might dabble in something else here and there, but their main thing is, is historicals. And then there's your kind of box where I think we fit in best, which is kind of just the people who are just into gaming. They're into the whole hobby, yeah. the whole aspect. It doesn't matter what game. Right. They'll play all kinds of stuff. They're picking up a new game every week. 
we've, we've all got tons of models and games on our shelves that we haven't even touched. Yeah. Because <laughs> every cool new thing that comes out, we're picking it up. So uh, that is where the primary, and, and we actually have really got, surprisingly, uh, a lot of people from coming over from 40K and getting into, into Blood and Plunder specifically, although also the other games as well. Yeah. But primarily Blood and Plunder. Well, it's because it's also the sh- well. <laughs> when we put, you know, we make sure, you know, and this is a marketing thing when we do a demo. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we have a table or a booth, sorry, a booth set up in any of these things, we make mm-hmm. sure the ships are out. You know, the ships are out, the crews are out. Yeah. Or we have, a, mm-hmm. like at Gen Con, we had Blood and Valor set up with a really neat table, the ships, and that, that just pulls people in. They're like, whoa, yeah. what is that? Right. And you get a lot of guys that are miniature gamers, like 40K guys, mm-hmm. and they get attracted to that, and then they find out, you know, what's the entry cost? And they're like, what? It's like nothing yeah. to them. Yeah. Because they're used <laughs> to paying, you know, $500,000 for an army. And they're like, whoa, I could spend this. And and yep. it, it yep. kind of shocks them. They're like, that's it? And I go, well, you can't copyright, you know, a pirate. You can't copyright right, right, a, right. a World War One soldier. Those are, you know, un, you know, so it... And and we you don't have to use our miniatures per se. Like if you have a right. you you love these miniatures that you have all these World War One guys laying around your house. You right. don't have to use ours specific, and you could buy ours to use them for other games. A lot of people RPG players mm-hmm. buy a lot of our stuff for RPGs that they don't play Blood and Plunder at all with it. But yeah, yeah. Well, especially the ships. Yeah, we sell. Yeah, I think we definitely sell more. If they ships. want to do that. That's great. You know, <laughs> we definitely sell more ships to RPG guys than we do to Blood and Plunder players. That's ironically. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. the scale's right. You know, it's a twenty-eight yeah. mil scale, mm-hmm. so it works for D and D. It works for all that right. kind of stuff. They can play on them. So, so plus we have the it... best looking ships for sure. Yes. Oh, you, yeah, in all seriousness, <laughs> yeah, your ships are gorgeous. Um, I have friends. I have friends mm-hmm. down in Atlanta who've painted up a bunch mm-hmm. of your stuff. Um, well, actually, you might know them. Uh, you gotta know. You gotta know Corey from Cigar uh, Box Battle, yeah. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, he was one of the guys that was like, oh, my God, you got to talk to the Firelock guys, you know? Because I guess he <laughs> makes some maps that people use for your games, I'm, I'm assuming, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, so let me ask you guys something, even though I think I already know the answer to this. So, um, I mean, I'll direct the question at both of you guys, but really, I mean, well, really, both of you can answer. Um, I mean, did you put conscious effort into making the game easy to get into? Definitely, <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I kind of assume that, you know, based on what I've seen in the rule books and the fact that you don't mm-hmm. need a lot of stuff. Because look, I, I think that's a barrier. You know, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I grew up, I love the big game. In fact, I, mm-hmm. I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but, you know, I did a podcast with some friends and Corey, and we were talking about, you know, the allure of the mm-hmm. big game, you know, as a historical miniature war gamer, but not right. everybody can do that. And the fact that somebody could go and pay 70 bucks for one of your box sets and get everything that you need, or even if it's a little bit more than that, you're not paying an arm and a leg and having to right. like chase down the Holy Grail in order to get together what you need for a game. And that's why I think you guys are really at the cutting edge because you, you produce everything yourselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I, and one of the big things for that, too, is just scaling in general. So. Mm-hmm. A big thing for us was that you shouldn't need to have a specialized table to play a game, right? Like you right. can, you should be able to play this on any kitchen table, and that's ideally well, that's... that'll work, right? And that's and then and then, but if you want to, if you want, like you said, because a lot of times you want to play the big game. Sometimes you have the big table. You go to a store, you rent a space, whatever it is you're going to do, right? And uh, it it scales, like it'll play real big. Any of our games will play really big, really well. 
but you can bring them down and have like you know th- our 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 blood and thunder two player starters, uh, thirteen models per side, right? right. And, that, and you you got a good game out of that. But we've played games with what I mean, that, I I don't think I've ever counted, but definitely hundreds and hundreds of miniatures on each side, uh, some big con games and stuff, and and yeah. you know we always resolve them and. They they finish in a session. We don't have to have multiple sessions or anything crazy like that. So right. that was a big focus on all the games we've done, and so yeah. far that's held up pretty well. Gotcha. And Rufus, yeah, I, and I knew you were going to jump in. Go for it. Yeah, well, I was saying even even the the size of the play mats. If you notice, and a lot of game companies do this, you know, we're three feet deep. There's a thought mm-hmm. into that that that'll mm-hmm. fit on a dining room table or a yeah. kitchen table. Right. When you get into the four feet, most are not that wide. So now you need a special table. Also, the, mm-hmm. the amount of miniatures, the you know, when we think about that when we build points and how do we design the armies, you know, it, there's, a, there's a lot of thought into making it as playable and as easily accessible as possible. But, you know, my mantra with a lot of them, and I, I'm sure Mike is similar, it's easy to learn, hard to master. Oh, yeah. Once, right. you, once you learn the basic rules, it's really not that super complicated, but then you realize, oh, I should have done this or I should have done synergy. And all. Yes. And a lot of modern games you notice are like that, that, that yeah. you know, you can pick it up super quick and then you realize, ooh, I'm not very good at this. <laughs> you know, and then you get better, you know. Yeah. It's not just, you know, who could roll better dice. It becomes who, who, who can think more ahead of the turn and tactically and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, which I find but, very interesting. I always think about that when when designing games or thinking about games. I always have it in the back of my mind, you know. And, you know, I want to make this easy, approachable, but I want to make it keep getting interesting as you go further and further along. So it doesn't yeah. just, you know, become the same thing over and over again. So, you know, yeah, what that, totally. You, you kind of mm-hmm. took the words right out of my mouth, Rufus, because when I teach teachers how to use games in the classroom, that's literally the first thing I say. You want to keep a game mechanically simple which we could talk about in a sec mm-hmm. like let's well we could talk a little bit about your rules for people who hopefully are going to flood your inboxes with <laughs> requests for, for your games that's my hope but yeah like sure. if you can keep the rules simple um and people can commit those rules to memory now you get them to where we want them to be which is what are your decisions how are you playing the game mm-hmm. what skills right. do you have to use so i i am totally on board with with that concept you know um, all right. So here's the thing. We have a lot of, um, I use this word lovingly. Uh, a lot of nerds are listening to this podcast and mm-hmm. <laughs> I do kind of want to get into rules a little bit. Um, within reason, I mean, we don't have to, we only have X amount of time, but, um, so let me ask you guys kind of a, I guess a sort of a simple question, but could get a lot of answers here. What do you think about mechanics wise when you guys are designing your games? Are there things about your rules yeah. or mechanics in your games that are just... Yeah, I have, I have one that I come up with. Yeah, one thing I always think about is, will this rule create an argument? Ah, okay. Will this mechanic create conflict? Right. Like um, a good example is uh, templates. A lot mm-hmm. of game systems use mm-hmm. templates. I'm tall. My son's tall. Right. I stand and I can look down on the table more effectively than Mike, who's like three and a half feet tall. So we can start to argue over how many models are under the template. So let's get rid of templates. Let's get rid of stuff. You know, all those kind of conflict, you know, where you're like, ooh, or, you know, you start arguing about, you know, you'll get guys one sixteenth of an inch arguments and stuff like that. And, 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 (laughs) you know, that, that one 
creates, you know, arguments too. It creates like a toxic play environment and then mm-hmm. it lessens the fun. Like if one guy's more laid back players, like after a while he starts saying, well, you know, whatever you say, we'll just go with that. And then they get frustrated on the other side. You yeah. Know? The, other, the other thing I think about too is if you can play your game in a tournament, which we do play tournaments with all these games. Yep. And mm-hmm. you can walk up and say, hey, I'm just going to make a 200-point force, and I can just show up and play anybody else's 200-point force, and I should walk up to the table and have the same amount of chance of winning that just comes up to my ability as a player, then you mm-hmm. know you have a balanced game. Yeah. But if you're mm-hmm. playing tournaments and all of a sudden one army wins all the time, which could be a good, you know, like a, a way to figure stuff out, but if that happens... Or if it's so skewed, then you notice, wait a minute, something's uh, off. Yeah. Which, But if you have a game that you cannot play in any tournament setting where a buddy, you can't just build a force and go to your store and play anybody, where you have to, like, call ahead and make a decision, that's not what modern gaming is. That's like, hey, we're going to, rep- mm-hmm. you know, recreate the battle of such and such, which isn't bad, but it's I call that gentleman wargaming, mm-hmm. where yeah. we're going to redo the battle mm-hmm. and then we'll have a different outcome or the same outcome and discuss and all that kind of stuff, which is great. And we do that. We've done, yeah, we've done those things. Yeah. yeah, we do it. Mm-hmm. We do it. And, and in conventions, a lot of guys will do it. What? That's not the uh, show up at the store and, you know, I just want to throw down and play a couple games and go home, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. You can't do it like that, you know? So, so that's another thing we think of. So, so where I do, I think of. So what's kind of amazing to me, and again, like, you know, hopefully I'm not being overly complimentary here, right? But I don't know, I am the host, so it's kind of my job to, be, I guess, maybe be a little like that. I mean, there's not <laughs> many games out there that kind of do what you guys do, which is, you know, usually you'll have a game that's great for, you know, a convention hall, but not great for a tournament or great for a tournament, but not great for more of like, I don't know, a historical refight using real life pirates or something along the mm-hmm. those lines. But it sounds like your games are strong enough that you can do any of those things equally well, which is very odd and rare, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for, for me, when we were designing Blood and Thunder initially, um, I liked the game for the primarily for uh, obviously for I think all of us like the uh, visual appeal, right? Just right, the right. models and the terrain on the tabletop. That's always a big draw. But yeah. for me, I, I really enjoy the, uh, the competition aspect, right? Yeah. So the, the, the hard decision-making, the choices, the, the puzzle to solve, if you will. Right. But at the same time, I also really love the story that comes out of the game mm-hmm. sometimes. Right. And it was really important for me to hit on all those three things to make sure that it's a visually appealing game that looks really good, even on a smaller table, that is very tactical, that makes you really think, but at the same time is also going to tell a great story and be filled with narrative and have a, a realistic representation, not necessarily in the simulation kind of way, but more in like, uh, you could say, oh, I could see, even though there's these mechanics that are kind of abstracted for what's happening. I could, you could tell the story of like, okay, these guys, and we have, you know, they have a bunch of fatigue, they ran off, but then they kind of rallied, they came back and they fought and you can insert the narrative there and the, with the way the events work and play into the game and all that stuff. Uh, it, it really does, I think a good job of that. And that was, those were the, those design pillars were there from the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, and it lends itself to do that. So you, because of that, you could play big, kind of scenario games that are just focused on a historical refight, even though Blood and Thunder is a skirmish game. Uh, there's certainly plenty of small, like we did, uh, one of the big ones we did was um, 
the Searles raid on St. Augustine. Yeah, we uh, raided that one a whole <clears> bunch <throat> of times. Yeah, so that's local to us, and we know the and it was and it was relatively small and compact, but it's something that's there's a historical record of. Yeah, so you could do it. You could do it with a couple hundred figures, so it works as a skirmish, right? So, uh, but the game the game is uh, designed to be flexible to to let you play it the way you want to play. Right. Gotcha. You're definitely selling me on Blood and Plunder. It's not that I've never, I mean, I've, I've seen it before and I definitely played once. It's a great game. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like it would be great for next-gen events, which we haven't really talked about. It doesn't really matter necessarily, but I mean, what kid wouldn't want to push a ship around and like sink their mm-hmm. friend's ships? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so that's definitely going to have to, uh, we'll have to get that on the docket for some of our events and stuff, you know? Oh, um, Hey, yeah, one, of, one other thing about that is also challenging in game design mm-hmm. is creating games that are in the, I, I call them like cousins. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to make a clone. Right, right, but, right. You know, and it's hard. It's hard to like, okay, so here I got, you know, I got a World War One game or a Victorian game or even a hundred years war game. How do I like separate these en- enough so... You'll yeah. understand them. You can learn them very quickly, but then you're like, "Whoa, what's you know?" You don't want to just make a copy of the other game with different right. models. Agree. So that's, that's, that's really challenging to do that to pull it off. And so you feel like you're playing different games, you know? Yeah. What's great? That's actually something that has worked well. We've we've been fortunate that everybody who's worked in that regard, like Rufus, and then we have uh, Edgar and Damien, and uh, and Eric with uh, Blood Eric, and Crowns. Yeah. Uh, blood and crowns and and uh blood and valor blood and plunder blood and steel they're all if you know how to play any one of them you could jump from one to the other and you'll pick it up like nothing because there's very little change typically it's the initiative some unit rules maybe the way you build your list yeah but ultimately all the core stuff it's like 90 percent the same right um but they all play so different they're able to capture the feeling of different settings which are all pretty wildly different. Blood and Steel is probably the closest to the original Blood and Plunder, um, especially in the earlier, like, Seminole Wars and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's not a huge, not a huge leap. But regardless, e- even the, the Zulu War and the Spanish-American War and all that stuff, it still plays, like, a, it, it captures the feeling of that kind of thing. And it looks right on the table, you know? So yeah. um, that's a, Rufus brings up a good point. That is something that um, I don't know how much... Uh, Rufus probably did it pretty on purpose, but in general, I don't know how much it was done on purpose, but definitely has worked out that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did it on great. purpose. <laughs> right. Well, it wasn't yeah, just I mean, a happy accident. <laughs> I was thinking no, I, but I think it's important, right? Because, I mean, you're, you guys are very right. I mean, who wants to play the same game all the time? I mean, right. and also, it would be a little weird, wouldn't it? I mean, if mm-hmm. you can use... I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll give you an example. Like, all the DB games, right? So, like, DBA, right. I don't know, DBM, mm-hmm. you know, all those. I mean, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. There's something kind of genius about being able to take a general set of rules and fight, you know, like the Battle of Cannae, you know, with the Romans and the Carthaginians, and then use those same rules to fight a World War II game, which you can do with a lot of Phil Barker's rules. But at the same time, right. it's also weird. Like, how, mm-hmm. how could yeah. you have the same mechanics for conflicts that are so radically yeah. different from one another? So so nobody right. wants to do that. You don't always want to play the same game, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so so in terms of, I'm just looking at the time, guys, because our time is running out here a little bit. Um, why don't I ask um, this question? So in terms of where you guys are heading as a company, 
what are some things that you would be comfortable talking about in terms of like your direction? Like, are, are, are you looking to go to, you know, different cons or go overseas or put out a new game or what's going on? Well, right now, um, we got a lot of new games on the, on the docket. Right. So first up, uh, the next thing we, which we will probably launch a Kickstarter for either in December or January, most likely, but we'll see. Don't, don't, don't quote me on that, but, yeah. uh, somewhere in the next few months is a game that I've been working on called uh, Port Royal, mm-hmm. which is essentially just kind of scaled down Blood and Plunder in a more kind of historical fiction kind of setting, where it's a, it's basically uh, Port Royal, for those who don't know, was destroyed by an earthquake in 1692, I believe it was. Um, mm-hmm. 1692, completely destroyed. All kinds of chaos ensued, like the, li- the liquefaction where the city yeah, the sank ground, part the of the water. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, in the while the tremors were still going, these all these because Port Royal was for a long time. Of, at this point, it was starting to get cleaned up, but they didn't. It's not totally cleaned up. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of old buccaneers and privateers hanging out there. So those guys are immediately raiding warehouses, stealing stuff, just taking complete advantage of the situation. So this game captures that little tiny, those little tiny mentions in the historical record, and we just we built a whole thing around it, right where. It's um, it's essentially the uh, you're playing a small warband of let's say six to ten models on average, and you're running around the ruins of Port Royal trying to steal as much plunder and fighting the other pirate bands as, as much as you can. Right. So it's, a, it's and it's going to basically be a campaign driven game where you're you have your little warband and you you grow it, and the guys gain experience. Some guys might die, they might get injured, etc. That kind of thing. Hey, a a good way to explain this is like two thirds tactical in a board game yeah, you know, on the yeah. board, and then one third, you know, advancing. You know, like after the engagement, right. you know, you check yeah. the loot, mm-hmm. and you, oh, this guy did really good, and he XP's up, and then you yeah, start right. building your warbands up to, uh, you know, and then you get your favorite guy that starts like as a schlum, and then he works his way all the way up to captain or whatever, and you know, right. or he becomes a peg exactly. leg, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Reminds me a little exactly. of uh, Mordheim back in the day. It's essentially that. I mean, yeah. tip, it's pretty much different time. But Destroyed but city, but balanced, I hope. <laughs> Hopefully yes. balanced. Yes. What are you talking yes. about? Yes. perfect. So. Oh, I know. <laughs> my, I, yeah, I, he's probably not listening out there, but one of my best friends in the world, Dan Garcia, the guy who mm-hmm. could literally break any Games Workshop game ever made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we loved Mordheim <laughs> until he started playing with us. <laughs> Dan, if you are listening, I love you, buddy. You know, yeah, but, like. That that always not to talk shit or anything about them, uh, but you know about about GW. You. But you know what I'm talking about, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. So this game is based on the mechanic. It's mechanically different from Blood and Plunder, but it's based on the same core unit stats. So you can bring in units from Blood and Plunder and play them in this game. And the idea behind the design was to basically get. Um, so it's like in, in Blood and Plunder, our unit size is typically four to twelve models. So it's basically right. like playing one unit as opposed to. Uh, a whole force. So the idea is to kind of zoom in on the one unit and play that how it would play out. So the mechanics change to account for that. Um, and it's a, it's a little bit more simplified, a lot less component heavy. So we didn't, I didn't want to have to have people relying on cards and tons of tokens and stuff. So it's a little simplified in that regard, just to make it more, I, I like the idea of being very compact and portable and again, accessible. Right. Um, so you don't need a lot of stuff to play. You need like five D10s and a handful of models and some scenery. 
and you're yeah. good to go. Good to um, go. Cool. And uh, and we're gonna do a we're gonna do a box for it, so it'll be all nice and accessible. Um, then that's because that's the next big one. So that that'll be the next thing that comes up. But um, aside from that, we'll and I'll, I'll save yours for last, Rufus, just so you can go into it. Um, we have a pirate RPG coming out. Uh, it's basically a blood and RPG, essentially, but using the Year Zero engine like we have for um, War Stories, and it's called yeah. Under the Black Sail. So that's been something that's been being worked on for a long time. The guy who's working on it has finally had some clearance in his schedule, and it's we've, we've, we're at the tail end of that, so it'll be out next that's year. That's great. Um, then we've also got... <clears throat> Um, we've also got some expansions for all of our games that we're working on. So Oak and Iron, uh, Blood and Plunder, Blood and Steel, those all see, uh, some, some expansions coming out and, uh, I feel like I'm forgetting something, but, oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to take a leap into a, some different, into a different realm and we're going to, we're, we're next year we'll be releasing probably, this will probably be toward the end of the year, be releasing a game called Blood and Sorcery which is essentially uh, a fantasy rule set to play using the blood and plunder rules, which is cool because it's a skirmish game. So you'll be able to use any fantasy or historical minis you have to play this. And uh, it includes the naval component that blood and plunder has, which is something that I've never seen anybody do before. So yeah, I think that's pretty cool. No, not like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Fantasy. Yeah, and then Rufus has a couple of projects that he's got cooking. Uh, uh, one of them will be out next year. Yeah, let's oh, yeah. do oh, it. And I'm, there's another oh, one no, too. we're not done. <laughs> yeah, so what are you guys not I'm coming out with, with by the way? <laughs> we, we have a lot of people, thankfully, who are excited to, to do stuff with us. So right. uh, one of them is a, there's a game called Blood and Rebellion, which is a kind of Cold War, modern sort of skirmish game, which that one is, uh, is looking pretty promising. A couple others that I won't bring up yet because the wheels aren't turning as much on those yet, but they are coming along. But I'll let Rufus jump in and, and talk about All the right. stuff he's working on. Oh, Rufus has been waiting for this moment. I could just yeah. see yeah. on his face. All right, <laughs> yeah, Rufus, I, go. Um, well, you know, it, it also comes to, you know, when, whenever we think about a game or whenever I think about a game, you know, I have discussions with Mike about, you know, marketability. Because the reality <laughs> of it is you make an awesome game that nobody wants. What, why? What are you doing? Right. So um, this is like the opposite ends of the spectrum. So the first, the first game I started working on right right away was um, the Spanish Civil War. You know, the in the uh, thirty six, thirty nine, yeah, yeah, Spanish Civil War, which mm-hmm. I find interesting, but it's more niche. You know, it's but yeah. but the other thing we look at is is there a line of miniatures of existence? Is there miniature availability, which there is, you know, companies make them. So, you know, we don't, we don't want to create a game that there's no miniatures for, because what's the point yeah. of that? Right. Um, and then, but that kind of went on a back burner a little bit, because my ultimate goal is to go Spanish Civil War and then attack a World War II. Yeah. Which is the big, you know, it's the big monster, you know, and I have right. ideas of how to do that. But uh, I want to address Spanish Civil War first, you know, so yeah, it makes the sense. lead into it. And it's a very interesting war, but it'll be an encapsulated book. It'll be, it's blood and valor, but those armies won't play with the original armies. It'll be, right. you know, because it's, you know, it's become more modern. There's a lot more vehicles involved, air power, all kinds of stuff. But the one that we've been discussing, which is, I'm, Mike didn't know this, my degree in, from college is in Napoleonic history. That's what right. my degree is. Right. And so we were talking, we were talking and I'm like, um, why don't we do a Napoleonic version of blood and, uh, you know, blood and plunder. And I'm going to call it blood and bayonets. I've yeah. already come up with the name. And I think that would be really interesting because no one that I know of has really made a Napoleonic game where 
you can bring your 200 points and play anybody any other force, like a more right. modern version. You know, right. everybody's there. They always kind of go back to, oh, we're going to recreate this battle and stuff. Especially for a skirmish. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which is it. And yeah, it is going to be a skirmish, which I'm going to have to take that into account. You're not going to be able to, you know, fight Waterloo, but okay. you could fight <laughs> sections or small areas. But of course, you know, and this goes to the marketability of games. I'm going to start with a peninsula because, you know, we write games for, you know, the Anglo American English speaking world is what right. we do. We sell them to other people, but our main, you know, main people that buy these games are from there. Right. And, you know, the British like the British. So yeah, they, they do. <laughs> they, do. <laughs> they are fond and, of themselves. <laughs> you know, we were thinking yes, about just <laughs> calling it the 95th Rifles and just put a picture of, you know, Sean Bean on the front and they'll all go buy it. But, <laughs> right. But um, not to touch that and to go somewhere else and then come back to that later would I think would be a mistake. So my goal is to start there. I'm going to have the Spanish army actually in the book because a lot of those games ignore them completely. Like they don't right. even exist, right. but they were there. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny. I just printed up a bunch of uh, uh, guerrillas on my mm -hmm. uh, 3D printer. I just printed them today. And then, you know, I'm thinking, how do I keep like small units interesting in the but other parts, you know, like where it's not this huge battles. And a buddy of mine, Leon Mason, came up with it perfectly. He said the retreat from Moscow, from the Russian retreat. I mean, the, the French retreat out of Russia. Yeah. And the French brought basically everybody with them. So you could take every every faction and every weird combination of stuff. I mean, there were a lot of units in Spain, you know, all from all over the place, which I'll, I'll represent. But, it, you know, and then, you know, we've been, my son and I have been throwing around all kinds of ideas about how to separate it from um, Blood and Plunder to make it feel different. It'll have a lot of similarities because once again, they're using muskets and, you know, except for the 95th rifles, but, you know, incorporating some ideas I have from Blood and Valor and put them in there. And then some, you know, like one of the, one of the things I was, we're playing around with is in Blood and Plunder, the unit sizes max out at 12, right? I was thinking about actually maxing my unit sizes out bigger, but if you have a bigger unit, you get advantages like can form square, can sure. you know volley fire, can do things. But then when your mm -hmm. unit gets degraded, gets smaller, you lose those advantages. You know things like that to kind of give it a more Napoleonic feel. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it, you know, it's a, I'm excited about it. I think it's really cool. So I'm going to run with that, you know, and 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 you know, bang that one out, and then mm -hmm. you know, and then we'll go from there. I don't know when it'll be in the, the schedule. I'm hoping in. Yeah. Maybe a year or so just, from now we can do that. Yeah, but then do it like we did, like we did Bloody Crowns, which was a Kickstarter. <clears throat> you know, it's like all guinea pigs. How do you learn? You know, where it's a rule book mm -hmm. on a Kickstarter, you get the PDF right away, then you get the hard copy down the road. Mm -hmm. And I think if we put out a viable, quality Napoleonic game that's successful for people to play, a lot of people have those armies sitting around in their houses, mm -hmm. and then new players can get interested in it for a you know a small you know amount of figures to get into it yeah and i think a kickstarter like that would do really well and then you, you develop forget, a community right away you know you, you forget one of the most important parts of what you're working on the game, no, nothing which nothing is something nobody else <laughs> nothing that's nobody's nobody's done this as far as i know but it'll also it'll oh, also you're of course include the naval, naval actions. yeah i'm gonna do so you'll naval have, actions too you'll be able to yeah. do 20 millimeter skirmish naval actions so yeah obviously it'll be limited to frigates and smaller but yeah well, it would definitely work because, I mean, w when mm -hmm. you guys were describing, you know, like the, the idea behind almost like the quote unquote Napoleonic skirmish, it almost sort of mm -hmm. reminds me of, I don't know if you guys have ever played, it's like one of my favorite games, uh, The Sword in the Flame. Have mm -hmm. you guys ever played that? 
So I have not played it, but I'm very familiar with it. I'm familiar it's, with it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a great <laughs> game, you know, but it it reminds me a little of that because if you were saying um Rufus, you know, maxing your units out at maybe 20 or something like that, Sword in the Flame is one of those games where it, you can almost forget about scale for a second. You know, if you've got your 20-man units kind of moving around, they can do different formations. Right. You know, and it's almost like, depending on how you look at those units, they could very easily be a battalion and more abstract, or they could literally be like little platoons. So it sounds really fun. And, and just in general, like, um, man, you guys, how do you have the time to do all of this? Like, I, that, that's an important <laughs> question. So Rufus, you're retired. <laughs> And Mike, yeah, I don't do is, anything all day long. I just paint <laughs> miniatures and and think about games. <laughs> Not a bad much. life. Though. Not a bad yeah. life. And Mike, yeah, what about worse. you? Yeah, it could be. Well, what about you? Well, I just don't hey, Mike, sleep. Well, is my trick. Yeah. Hey, tell the truth. Tell the truth. I call him, and half the time I call him, he's playing some other game that's totally unrelated to anything with Fire <laughs> Just playing Not games, sure. and I'm like, "Hey, get the work." He's like, "That." Nah. Like, <laughs> Market research. Part of, it's yeah, part of, of course. The job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Too <laughs> funny. You guys so. are very funny, by the way. I have to point that out. <laughs> it's very funny. I mean, I generally have, see. Look, no offense. I generally have like a no Florida rule, but you guys are, are <laughs> making me very interested in. Uh, dude, we're insane. In, no, dude, Florida's insane. It's perfect. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> the way I like it, guys. It's too much for me. I don't know. <laughs> Without getting like two in the weeds here, you guys live in a wild place. <laughs> oh, we're fully aware just, of that, trust me. Yeah, even beyond like the political stuff, just like the issues that you guys have with pythons now is just is too mm-hmm. much. Like I can't imagine walking down the street and being dragged down into a sewer by a giant python. By the way, this has come up on this podcast before, by the has way. It, but, has it happened to me yet, thankfully, but I do see dead pythons occasionally in the canal by yeah. my house. But, uh, I ran. I ran one over with my car. Now it's yeah. a dead python. See, Nail one. This is People exactly run over my point. Things. But look, <laughs> you guys are interesting enough. Where I don't know. Like I could imagine myself coming down. And uh, where do you guys game? If you don't mind me asking. Well, here in, in South Florida, we pretty much game Loser. at our at our office because there's no real game store in Miami. Yeah. Right. I, I live. I actually live down in Homestead, which is the the. It's basically as far south as you could get on the continental U S without being in, on an Island. Right. Uh, so, uh, the around here, there's pretty much nothing. We just game at home or at, uh, at our, at our office essentially. Right. And then, um, I think Rufus pretty much does the same games at home, even though he's yeah, got no. access to a ton of stores. <laughs> yeah. One of awesome. the differences in central Florida where I am mm-hmm. is it's a much, much better gaming scene. There's a lot of really good stores here. Yeah. Um, there's some stores that are mean. They're they're really really good. I mean, they're really nice. They're clean. They have a stock. They're well yeah. run. But the other one of the other reasons I moved up here, and you know, I developed a posse of nerds. My nerd posse, because right. you know, you can't game by yourself. No, you could, no, right, right. It gets kind of depressing after a while just sitting there. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> uh, I would come up to Orlando. HFGS does two conventions here a year. You know, Recon mm-hmm. and Huracan, and then they have yep. another one that goes right after Huracan. So what I used to do is I come up for Huracan, spend the week in Orlando, and then do Crucible, which is more of a tournament-type con. We just did it, um, what, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Yeah. And so so you got three cons a year right here, which are – and I really like Huracan, the HFGS cons because it's all the yeah. same people. Yeah. And I met people at them. So when I moved up here, literally the next week, and I was at somebody's house, you know, playing games – yeah, but I guess I like the 
play in my house because you know I, I have my garage set up and I can smoke cigars and drink beer yeah. and yell and scream and the, the <laughs> that wouldn't bother me. It's a big to plus, consume you know tobacco and alcohol and while your game is a big yeah. plus of not no, playing any games. Yeah, I, yeah, say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, there's there's not much better than good game, a nice cigar, and for me, it's like a nice. Uh, even though I, I I feel weird, I hopefully my none of my students are listening, but no, a nice glass of scotch, you know, when yeah. kind of kind <laughs> well, of cool. we drink. Yeah, we're go ahead. Rum drinkers, we're more well, rum drinkers. You're in that's that's yeah. another secret. <laughs> secret marketing ploy we have is we have developed friends over the years running um participation games at conventions because people know we always have lots of liquor right 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 so they'll <laughs> actually play in the games just to get free liquor and then they start oh, to say sure. wait a minute this game's kind oh. of fun and i mean we basically had an open bar we were rocking an open bar at the last one i mean no, guys I'm were just sure. making mixers and i'm like what are you guys doing I mean, <laughs> i mean i'm sure any of your games work with that kind of vibe but i mean you're playing a pirate game. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah. well, you got to drink rum. You can't yeah, drink, you know, yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the things, you know, it's, it's a good gaming scene up here. If you ever came down here, you probably enjoy yourself. You yeah. know, there's a bunch of, you know, guys have fun. And one thing they do do at the HMGS shows here is these guys put on some really nice looking games. That's like what the heard. tables yeah. are it's really crazy, good. Yeah. 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 You'd be like, wow, for the this size is, of con. Yeah, yeah. For the size of con it is, the tables are extraordinary. Like, I, I what do you think? You know, we, we got maybe three hundred. We go to tons cons. and tons of shows. Yeah, about yeah. that. I can say two to three hundred depends on the year. Um, yeah. And you know, we go to a lot of shows, and these guys do better tables than most. The vast majority of the shows we, yeah. it's, it's pretty, yeah, pretty impressive. Like, wow. Yeah, I've heard Huracan <laughs> in particular is pretty good. Like, I'm off the top of my head. So, I mean, Daniel Hansen. I don't know if you know him. He, yeah, he, yeah, mm-hmm. he's an old friend of my dad. So my dad started gaming in the 70s and he was gaming with Stan. I know that he does some of his like uh road race games, you know, it's like Mad Max right. racing games and then there's a couple of guys I know that do Sword in the Flame games, like the big naval games. Um the the guy's name escapes me at the moment, but I I've, I've heard really 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 good things about about all those cons. So look, I'm not gonna yeah. lie. I could probably talk to you guys way longer. <laughs> you guys seem like so much fun. Um, but just in terms of our time, we're we're more or less out. And I was curious um, before we kind of depart here. So if somebody wants to find you guys online, if somebody wants to learn a little bit more about what you guys do as a company, what would your recommendation be? Like, where should somebody go? <clears throat> Best place. Of course, first of all, is firelockgames.com, just our website. It's got everything. From there, you go to the community tab. We have a dis- we have Discord servers that are very active, uh, Facebook groups, so you can find us on Facebook. We have um, we have uh, player groups for all of our games, which are really active. And I'm, I'm speaking of really nice tables and stuff, some of the modeling and painting that people do on our groups is just amazing, blow you away. Uh, but uh, we're on Instagram and and all the all the usual places. Uh, cool. I don't think we have a TikTok, but uh, as far as I know, we know we have Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, and uh, Discord. Gotcha. <laughs> so no, that's you can great. find us in all those places. Yeah. Okay, great. So yeah, so yeah. hopefully with any... Oh, I'm sorry, Rufus, go ahead. Yeah, the other thing that, you know, I always make a real point to, especially like with Blood and Valor with my pages, mm-hmm. I'll interact. I mean, if you have a question or whatever, yeah. we, we we interact with you. It's we're, not like we're, we're some, active, you know, yeah. if, if you ask us a question, we're going to try to answer it yeah, or, yeah. Know, directly or say, hey, what do you think of this or what do you think of that? You know, we do, mm-hmm. I do get a kick out of interacting with people and I'm, 
you know, like, yeah, we do it like it's like this up on a mountain where you can't talk to me ever and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. you know, if you, if, and then sometimes somebody will ask a question and the community answers it correctly and I'll just say, Hey, that's the right answer. But, you, yeah. know, <laughs> you know, so why, you know, why reiterate the same thing? But I do enjoy, um, you know, people asking questions and people, Hey, what do you think of this? Or what do you think of that? Or, Hey, I found this and found that. And, you know, and it's a good group. I mean, we've never really had anybody act silly on it or do anything wrong. Yeah, I mean, like crazy or anything. So, you know, yeah. just gamers that want a game. You know, that's what yeah. that's what social media mm-hmm. should be for. Fortunately, a lot of times it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be podcast number two. We could talk about yeah. Florida politics and Instagram and oh all kinds of wild stuff. <laughs> Even though I don't, I don't know if our audience would necessarily be too into it. I think it would be really fun. But. So, so oh, I gotta go. I gotta go in the backyard. I gotta um smoke cigars or yeah. make meth, shoot my guns in the air and try right. to shoot alligators in my backyard. Right. Apparently, you know, you know normal, normal. What is it? What, normal, uh, normal afternoon in Florida. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, look, <laughs> in all seriousness, yeah. guys, um, this was a really a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, talking to you guys. And I do have to say, I think that w- without sounding super lame, I think what you guys do, what you guys are doing is important. And I, I just hope that, well, I mean, not to impact your sales or anything, but I do hope that more companies like yours come out in the sense that push the envelope forward, like put out really quality minis, put out really quality books, put everything out where it's a one-stop shop as opposed to like, you know, the ancient method of historical wargaming of like having to find the manufacturer and having to dig up an old, you know, set of rules. So I really do hope that people will take some cues from you guys, you know? Well, thank cool. you for that. I hope yeah, so of course. I really mean that. So, all right. Well, look, guys, this was a lot of fun. Um, and I wish you guys well. I am kind of serious. Hopefully we will run into each other. And I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to, uh, give blood and plunder a shot with some of the kids that we work with, uh, in next gen. I don't see how they could possibly not enjoy it, you know? So I'll have to hit mm-hmm. you guys up for some advice and stuff. Okay. Let us know. We're available. All right, cool. Thanks. Thanks this for coming. a lot of fun, guys. All right. Uh, All right so cool. I will catch it. you guys later. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks again. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided Gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore NextGen underscore Inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.